Well, greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line. My name is James White. We're coming to you on the last of our uh, road trip dividing lines for this particular trip, 26 days. We have been on the road and uh, I've got a lot to do when I get home. <laughs> At least that's what my wife says. And uh, <clears throat> only going to be home for about 28 days, maybe a little less than that. I come to think of it. Um, yeah, a little less than that. Uh, before a 33-day uh, trip, which uh, I designed, by the way, before my shoulder went completely crazy. So I have some really long days in there, much longer than I'm comfortable going. But there's nothing I can do about it now. I've already made all the reservations, and it's the only way the timing works. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll We'll do our best. But we are in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, which means I'm only two hours from home. Uh, some interesting driving between here and there. Um, really steep downhills and really steep, uh, one really steep uphill out of Camp Verde, uh, if you've ever gone there. And uh, <clears throat> I have to admit, being in Flagstaff, is a, it makes me a little melancholy. I spent a long time up here uh, between 2011 and 2020. Uh, training at altitude. We're at 7,000 feet above sea level here. And uh, I just don't know how much of that I'm going to be doing in the future. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. really, really is. And um, it is great to be up here, and it's windy and cool and stuff like that. Got a lot to get to today. I am going to be talking about some Joe Rogan clips. So could I just say right now, it's called Fair Use. <laughs> I'm going to be playing and responding to, answering questions about, even criticizing, because he, one of the clips is with Lawrence Krauss, <clears throat> who is a well-known atheist. And uh, we're going to be looking at what Joe Rogan has said about the Bible, because clearly, you know, there, there's so many other times that I've, you know, when Joe Rogan's had uh, Jordan Peterson on and things like that, you know, you can be, you can be impressed by, uh, what he reads and things like that. When it comes to his understanding of where the Bible came from um, and what the process of translation is and manuscripts, stuff like that, Joe Rogan has no idea what he's talking about. And we're going to hopefully in a friendly fashion, um, correct his misunderstandings and hopefully lots of other people, maybe having his name in the title will cause people to watch that haven't watched before. I will try to remember to link to my debate with Bart Ehrman uh, in the description because a lot of the stuff we'll be talking about was addressed in that uh, in that debate in 2009. But before we get to that, um, I you may have seen, <clears throat> there's just so many, <clears throat> and I've got a cough going on, so I apologize ahead of time. I could actually, I can actually mute myself, so I'll try to remember to do that in the, in the future. Um, there's so much stuff that flies across our screen every day that you just start you just start forgetting. You know, I was just now looking at some stuff, and you know, there's this board-certified pediatrician doing TikTok videos encouraging kids to come to this person and get puberty blockers without their parents' per permission or knowledge. And this just utter destruction of the family, uh, destruction of gender, humanity, 
it it won't last forever. Can't because any society infected with it that that God in his mercy does not deliver from will be destroyed by it. It, it is anti-human, anti-life. <laughs> it is the culture of death in its fullest expression. But uh, one of the things that I saw over the past couple of days, I think it was just yesterday, was a professor. Now, I, I'm, I'm using air quotes there. This is a person um, hired by a college, a university. And I guess that's what makes you a professor these days. There was once a meaning to that. It, it referred to <clears throat> advanced study in a field that allowed you to educate others accurately and fully about what your field of expertise is. Now, with diversity, equity, and inclusion, it means nothing. A, a piece of paper from these institutions that have been taken over by this leftist insanity means nothing. I look at these people with PhDs and I listen to them try to talk and they, they can't reason their way out of a paper bag. They have no knowledge of any other field. They have no knowledge about how their field interacts with any other field. And as was demonstrated a decade or so ago now, you can write the most absurd, insane, stupid, foolish, childish papers and be published as long as those insane, stupid, foolish, childish papers promote the narrative. Um, scholarship is dead in the West. <clears throat> Not completely. But to do scholarship, you have to stay out of the spotlight so you don't have to answer questions about whether you're including DEI um, goals and principles in your teaching and your study. Because DEI is the end of any type of academic seriousness. So there's this woman, shabbily dressed, who comes up to a table. And this was at <coughs> Hunter College. Hunter College. Professor Shalin Rodriguez comes up to a table, and there are two students standing behind the table, and they have materials set up. And they want to talk to people about abortion. They're pro-life students. I can't play it for you because this professor can't do two sentences without dropping F-bombs. She's abusive, childish, um, just should not have a job at any serious institution, but that's all, all of them have, been, have succumbed to this now. And then she becomes violent and knocks stuff out of one of the students' hands and knocks stuff off the table. And, of course, says that their being there, their words are violence. It's the, the stupidity, 
the utter lack of intellectual seriousness that marks the modern university campus that has succumbed to this attack is truly shocking. I don't think there would be any way to get someone like Shalene Rodriguez to do an academic debate. I don't. I doubt she has the intellectual capacity, training, and scholarship to do an opening statement, to control herself, to do rebuttals, to do cross-examination. I just don't think it would happen. And that's what we, that's what Christian parents are spending $100,000 to send their children to sit in classrooms taught by these kind of people. I don't understand it. I really, really don't. But this is what has taken over. And it is connected somewhat to what I want to talk about in regards to the history of the Bible. Joe Rogan, like I said, is a, is a serious guy in many ways. And he engages serious conversations. But Lawrence Krauss, these leading atheists, not, I'm not talking about Joe Rogan, Lawrence Krauss and the others, uh, you know, the, the guys that get paid $25,000 to do a debate. <clears throat> these individuals, almost without fail, are willing to accept the most surface-level, childlike views of the history of the Bible. Now, maybe it's just the whole field of debates, um, because I've, I've often lamented that Christian apologists, I've never understood why Christian apologists in general are ignorant of the biblical languages. I've never understood that. And yet you think of most of the big names. Can they can they read from the Greek New Testament? Can they read from the Hebrew Old Testament? Can they preach, speak, check things out quickly? Do they have a meaningful capacity in the biblical languages? And the vast majority do not. I've never understood it. But then the atheists come along, and they will accept the most cockamamie ideas about the history of the Bible and will repeat them ad nauseum over and over again, even when corrected. Now, I would like to hope that if someone were to direct Joe Rogan to my debate with Bart Ehrman or to this program, and he gets to see the answers to his questions, that he wouldn't repeat these things. But I know Lawrence Krauss would. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why is that? Why is there this kind of attitude amongst atheists, especially, and this willingness to accept utterly unscholarly, utter, utterly indefensible historical claims about Constantine doing this and all the rest of this kind of stuff? And you know, part of it, I understand, is the fact that there are lots of 
there aren't that many Christians that can provide the corrective. Uh, I, I, I get that. But still, if they did any kind of serious study, they would know that what they're saying and where they're coming from just simply simply isn't true. So I'm going to try to do this. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time um, getting set up. It was a long it was a long drive today. Had some interesting experiences along the way. Anyway, and I cannot explain what goes on on the Joe Rogan thing. I've I've never. I only see clips of the program, especially when really interesting people are on. But um, this first clip is has there's a guy sitting here in a sniper something, and Joe's I don't know I I don't know the video part leaves me completely baffled. I'm only concerned about what Joe Rogan himself is saying. <laughs> so let's, let's listen in and uh, let's, let's respond to what is said here. I need to turn this up now so I can hear it. And uh, then let's do this. Okay, um, Rich, you're telling me that didn't work. Yes, no, maybe. Um, no, it didn't. It didn't work. I don't know what happened there because when we tested it, it worked fine. Yes, it did. It worked perfectly fine. Is the, that it, is the is the Mac uh, uh, audio channel open? Yep. Yep, sure is. It changed absolutely nothing. Um, channel four on, just like before. Hate when that happens. You test everything out, and then you go live, and there's demons in the electronics. I don't understand it. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the old way of doing things and I'm going to not pipe it through to the A10. I'm going to put it through the MacBook Pro speakers and I'm going to play it that way. And that's not how it should work, but it's old school and, um, we'll give it a shot. I apologize. Like I said, worked fine just 15 minutes ago, but. So let's try this again, and oh, I'm sorry, been doing that the whole time too. So here we go. Let's try it again. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's and the translations apparently are so difficult to do. Yeah, apparently the especially Old Testament when they translated the Old Testament, they had to translate it. I mean, think of all the different languages it had to go through. It was Latin and Greek and German and English and all these different languages that are so different. Like, have you ever used the the translate button? Like, uh, I follow a lot of Russian fighters. Oh. And they, you know, and they're uh, 
Instagram feed, they write in Russian. And right. I'm always like, oh, translate. It's a really cool feature. You can, but you can tell it's not exactly what they meant because it's all up because their language is different right like the way they structure sentences is yeah. different so english doesn't just plug and play right you know it's like sticking a usb3 into a usb a like yeah. hey this doesn't really fit right now add time Ugh. add thousands of years and scrolls and, and like kings who wanted things changed yeah the king james version right okay so um at least you can hear it that time, and that's just how we'll stick with it in the future. Um, shouldn't work that way, but I don't know. I, I can't. I can't. I don't understand. The, the more com- the more complicated it gets, the more things you try to do, the more things break. <laughs> it's just sort of how how things are. So we'll 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 simplify. All right. I remember very clearly sitting in um, the first time I visited a Mormon Word Chapel many, many years ago. I sat through one of their um, presentations and that was pretty much what the people there were told. Is that the reason we can't really trust modern Bible translations or really trust the Bible any longer is because it went from, it went through all these different languages. And this is literally what the guy the Mormon priest was saying to the people, and I'm just sitting there going. Um, So the idea was, well, you know, Jesus uh, speaks it in Aramaic, and then it's written down in Greek, so there's one place where you're going to have problems. And then they switch to Latin, so it's translated into Latin, and then it goes into uh, German or forms of German and French, and they have to go through all this stuff before it finally gets to English. And so you lose something at this step and you lose something at this step and you lose something at this step. And so by the time you get to where we are today, yeah, that no one really knows. You can't really tell one way or the other, which of course is utterly absurd. Um, That's not what happened. We have Greek manuscripts of the New Testament that go back to the second century, the early second century. And we have over 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Then we have Latin um, that are translations from the Greek, Sahidic, uh, Boharic, Coptic, all sorts of stuff like that. And when we translate modern versions of the Bible, um, we are primarily doing so from the Greek, or we want to talk about the Hebrew, then we have the great manuscripts that have been used from the Masoretes in the ninth century. And then with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we left 1,000 years back in time. And there is no necessary necessity whatsoever that there has been change over that thousand years, which was proven with the Isaiah scroll and now with the recently digitally unrolled Leviticus scroll where they can't physically unroll it. They use x-rays that can tell the difference between the content of the ink and the content of the now fossilized parchment. 
And so they can digitally unroll it and read it. It's amazing technology. And just like the Isaiah scroll, no change. And this is, these are from before the time of Christ. And so um, in a number of weeks, in September, it's my intention anyways, at the G3 conference to preach on the sovereignty of God from Isaiah, from the Hebrew text without anything else. That's that's my goal. That's what I want to be able to do. Um, not using Latin, not using the Greek Septuagint. I've I've preached a G three from the Greek Septuagint just a couple of years ago from Isaiah six, but doing it differently this time from a different language, from the original Hebrew language. But this idea that it's a it's a chain, and then somehow it goes from Greek to Latin, and all the Greek manuscripts disappear. So all you have is the Latin, and the Latin is translated into German, and all the Latin manuscripts disappear. No. We have thousands of those manuscripts. At least 20,000 Latin manuscripts of the New Testament. As I said, almost 6,000 fragments and entire New Testaments in the New Testament, <coughs> in Greek. So that idea is very common in people's minds. But that's not where it came from. So let me just just show you something here. Um, here is <clears throat> here is my um, desktop right now. This is Accordance Bible Software. This is the beginning of the Gospel of John, and here we have uh, the Greek. Of John 1 1, NRK ain halagos, kaiologos ain prostan theon, kaitheas ain halagos, hutas ain NRK prostan theon. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, because it has the article, was God. So when I teach through John, I teach from the original languages. And if we wanted, if I wanted to, and I sometimes do, um, here is. Uh, of course, that would be right in the way. <clears throat> Here is uh, looking, I can look at various New Testament manuscripts. Here's John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, this is in, here's Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, Washingtonianus, Codex Alexandrinus, and the various papyri manuscripts, such as P66, that contain um, this section of John, as does P75. And this is in a different form of Greek because it's unsealed Greek, um, what we would call majuscule or capital forms. <clears throat> in the ninth, 10th centuries, that changed and they switched over to, I just realized that's really, really small to you, but they switched over to the minuscule text we use today. But you can, you can check out all of these things. You can examine all of these things um, as you are doing your translation, as you're doing your sermon preparation and, and things like that. So everything that Joe said about going through all these languages and about the Russian thing, you know, the only thing that had any relevance was the Russian thing because he's he, there's only one step there. That's Russian coming into English. Okay, if you are monolingual, if you don't speak foreign languages, then you can be troubled 
by the fact that in almost every situation, there are multiple ways of translating a phrase or a thought from one language to another. There are differences in grammar, syntax, layout. <laughs> there, there are some languages that are more Yoda-like <laughs> than others. Uh, a lot of languages that, that want to have very particular layout of where the subject and the verb and the objects go and descriptors and phrases and all the rest of that type of stuff. Then other languages just don't care. So there are multiple ways of translating. And that's why we have so many, it's one of the reasons why we have so many English translations, but there's always a way to test whether what is in that translation is accurately seeking to render the original meaning or if it's off doing its own thing, like the New World Translation of Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, the Passion Translation and uh, the Scholars Translation, all this kind of stuff that's out there that people have put out just to promote their own, their own perspectives. But they're all translations of original languages. Now, there may be, there are instances where textual critical scholars will look at other languages, will look at the Latin manuscripts, look at the Boharic, look at the Coptic, to help shine some light on textual issues when there are differences between the Greek manuscripts. Um, but the fact is, you can look at any modern translation and in the foreword it'll tell you what Greek New Testament is translating, what Hebrew it's translating. Normally today, it would be the Nessian 28th edition of the Greek New Testament and the Biblia Hebraica is Tukartensia for the old. <clears throat> but there will be places where a translation committee will choose to go with the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, there are places where in the New Testament, they're quoting from the Greek Septuagint, and so that you know that's very relevant. And there will be notes, and anybody who really wants to dig in, the material is there to do the digging. It really, really is, if people are willing to, to invest the time. So let's go for, and I have no idea why Joe was wearing a NASA space suit or what the other guy was doing or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I have no earthly idea. Um, Uh-oh. Hmm. Okay. Well, this is interesting. Uh, window. <laughs> All right, I had this queued up. We are having tech issues today. There it is. I found it. Uh, too many, uh, too many windows, and this window decided to go hiding under somebody else someplace. I guess I don't know. But uh, here is a conversation between Lawrence Krauss, an atheist, and Joe Rogan. And I want to interact with a, a number of the things. It gets to our subject toward the end. <clears throat> but there are a number of things, having listened to it, I just wanted to go, wow, okay. Um, and hopefully it's be helpful because, uh, again, this is these are the people that people are listening to, and so these, these are the objections that are going to be thrown in your direction. 
That's just sort of all there is to it. You can't you can't get around it. So let's see how this works. Uh, I'm not going to change it. I'm going to do it over the air uh, the way we did it before. Let's see how this works. That's the problem with the, the, the with a lot of what's happening in our government. People think, you know what? I really want to believe in this absurd story, and therefore I refuse to accept evolution. If you're the if you're Mike Pence, the vice president of the country, you say I don't believe evolution because I don't. It doesn't agree with my ridiculous fundamentalist ideas. And he said that in Congress, right? He said we shouldn't be teaching evolution in schools. We should be teaching intelligence design. And and why? Because he, he it, it it offends his personal faith. Per- or maybe, possibly, um, these guys never actually engage with the evidence from the other side, and in fact, <clears throat> seem to believe that to do so is to give it credibility that it does not deserve. Because this is—I mean, this is their this is their religion. Uh, Darwinism is their religion, and <clears throat> the evidence for intelligent design is overwhelming. Absolutely overwhelming. I could show you stuff just, it would curl my hair if I had it. So good, so solid. They won't even, they cannot even think about the possibility. So you'll notice liberal use of absurd and all this kind of stuff. This is, <clears throat> this is the new atheism. This is how they are. Um, we continue. Perhaps. It might also be a political ploy. It might be a thing because he knows that a large percentage of the country finds comfort in a leader that subscribes to the same sort of superstitions that they do. Yeah, I, I, that could be. I, he did this before he was in a national office. He was a congressman. I suspect he did it. It sounds like he believed it. But he might, like, he it might. Who knows? Right. But uh, but the point is that we 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 should realize that the only that that we shouldn't listen to that kind of nonsense. Right. Because we may not want, because there are a lot of people in this country who do think that evolution directly confronts their belief in God or the Big Bang directly confronts their belief in God and therefore they don't want their children to learn about that. But what an awful thing to do to your children to withhold evidence about how the world really works. And of course, um, Lawrence Krauss wants to withhold evidence against his own position. They don't want any kind of fair debate. They don't want any kind. They don't want someone coming in and say, here's the evidence for intelligent design. Look, uh, evolution can't explain these things. You, you take one thing out of this complex step and it falls apart. You can't, you can't come up with this with neo-Darwinian micromutational evolutionary theory. It doesn't work. Well, <clears throat> you try to even get a hearing with these people and, oh, no. So is that abuse of their children? Is that abuse of all children? You want abuse of children? Just look at the educational system today. It is a child abuse system on every level. I had a friend, excuse me, tell me that um, someone had just contacted him yesterday that they had gone to a library at school to get some stuff for summer reading program. Come around the corner to check out. And who's checking out the books, the summer reading program, but a fully bearded drag queen. A fully bearded drag queen. That's that's what we have now. Um, the, the fact that the educational system has completely sold out to a discredited theory, but will not give up on it. Um, these guys can't even admit 
because this is central to their religion. This is central to who they are. And they, they, they can't go another direction. It's just not possible. Because, you know, you don't have to believe in the Big Bang, but it really happened. You don't have to believe in evolution, but it happened. It's like Philip K. Dick said, the, the, the science fiction writer. Reality is that which continues to exist, whether or not you believe in it. Yeah. Okay. And so you may not want to believe in it, but it happened. And and for you to withhold that kind of knowledge from your kids because you're worried it's going to affect their faith is, in my opinion, child abuse. Because So you'll notice that, that we've heard this very often from folks on the east side, um, child abuse. Um, I would argue that teaching children that they are ugly bags of mostly water, they have no transcendent purpose, they have no meaning, when they die, the world's not going to care, um, that they are a complete cosmic accident, or as uh, Dan Barker uh, put it, and I brought up in our debate at the University of Illinois many, many years ago now, um, that we are cosmic broccoli. We're cosmic broccoli. We have no more impact in the world and in this universe than a head of broccoli. And if it falls off the truck and gets run over by the next truck, nobody cares. The universe is, is not changed. And that's what we're telling our children. <clears throat> that's what this man wants to tell uh, our children as well. Um, it's their religion. We all have a religion. The difference is we have an empty tomb. They don't. We can look at all the evidence. So I, hey, ask my kids, did I teach them the evolutionary theory? Did I teach them neo-Darwinian micromutational evolutionary theory? Of course I did. <coughs> of course, I was a biology major. And even though I went to a Christian university, I was the only creationist in the biology department. Um, I mentioned before, the first book I read when I graduated was Dawkins' The Blind Watchmaker because <clears throat> I wanted to interact with that kind of argumentation. So should we teach our children what these perspectives are? Yes. Should we show them how to critically take these things apart? Yes. The other side will not allow that. Will not allow that at all. You're hindering their capabilities as an adult in a society which is highly technological to function effectively. But they're doing it because they believe it as well. I well, mean, they, they, it's right. I'm not yeah. believing. They think they're helping their kids. But yeah. most of, I don't know if you're a parent. I am. I am. We've all screwed up our kids, right? Yeah. We all do things for our kids because we think it's good for them. And, and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Um, good for them? No, no matter what these guys do, no matter what Lawrence Krauss does, he is going to steal from God's world because he's made in God's image. You can't avoid it. Why should you worry about what's good for your kids? How do you even know what's good for your kids? There was a time when there was a consistency from generation to generation as to what is good. Western Western society has lost that now to its detriment. But what was good for my great-grandfather to teach to his son, my dad taught to me. <clears throat> and that goodness 
had an objective grounding to it. Now there's, there's no objective good at all. Look at our society. We're literally being told that the greatest good that everybody has to celebrate is mutilating kids' bodies, cutting off breasts and other genitals, and filling children with drugs that will make them sick, weak patients the rest of their lives. That's the greatest good we can now do. And 20 years ago, anybody who tried to, to say that would have minimally been laughed off the stage, if not maybe beaten up in the parking lot afterwards, appropriately. So, so no objective, no objective way of knowing one way or the other. And yet this is supposed to be good. I'm not saying these people are doing it because they, they want to hurt their children. They think somehow that not believing in God makes you a bad person. Right. But there's no evidence of that. In fact, right. in fact, as Steve Weinberg, the Nobel Prize winning physicist, has said, and I love... Um, <clears throat> good person? How is that even relevant when you think we're nothing but stardust? We are just fitting chemicals. We're moist robots. We're ugly bags of mostly water. What's that mean? What's a good ugly bag of mostly water? In comparison to a bad one. I don't know. I have no earthly idea. Um, neither does he. Borrowing, stealing, borrowing, stealing from the Christian worldview, our language, our objective standards, um, he has to. He's living in God's world. He's not living in the world that he's telling other people about. But he, he said, so they're good people in the world. They're bad people. Good people do good things. Bad people do bad things. When good people do bad things, it's religion. Do you think... Um, so when <clears throat> atheism uh, led to the murder of 125 million people in the last century and into this century, what was that? Why do you say that's good or bad? Either way. Um, if you didn't watch the debate that Jeff and I did with two atheists only a matter of weeks ago, um, take time to watch it and, and see. Once they're caught stealing from us, they can't stop. They can't stop. And this is one of the reasons <clears throat> that Jeff Durbin and I and Eli Ayala and others like us are presuppositional apologists. This guy has debated <clears throat> evidentialists, but they don't challenge him on this because they really can't. They've already granted to them something that they shouldn't have granted to them in the first place. That is their time. That religion in its earliest stages was, in a sense, primitive man with no science trying to figure out the world and trying to have some sort of rules like almost sure. like a uh, scaffolding in yeah. order to to move to the next I mean, if you see that it exists in so many different cultures yeah that it, it might have been something along those lines that way with or another possibility would be the reason you see it in so many different cultures is it has a common origin like maybe the revelation of God, maybe like as Christians say that God has written his law upon our hearts 
that there is revelation given to the earliest cultures. And that's why there are flood stories all through the cultures. And there's very great similarities in law through all these cultures. Maybe that's because we live in God's world. Possibly, you would think. Their effort to, it was their effort to understand the world around them based on what they knew. It was noble. You know, they tried to understand the world. And so there's nothing wrong with it. But claiming that we today should be guided by the worldview of, of illiterate peasants in the Iron Age peasants who, who didn't know the earth orbited the sun and wrote down scriptures based on their beliefs at the time, they argued that, that should guide our life today when we discovered 100 billion galaxies in the universe and discovered all this stuff is ludicrous. So Ludicrous. <clears throat> I've often said, and with our AI-driven um, transcription of all the dividing lines, and I think we're literally talking about all the dividing lines, the debates, sermons, it's all going to be available, which is scary to me. It should be scary to you. It's like a, it's like a Jack Chick track gone bad. You know? I mean, we say that every word we speak will be judged, but I was hoping to wait till heaven for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hitting me right between the eyes before them. Um, <clears throat> I have said um, for a very, very long time, what was I about to say that I was said for a very, very long time? It was the last thing that he was saying. Uh, hold on a second here. Uh, Our life today when we discovered 100 billion right. galaxies. and I've said over and over and over again, and now I remember where, where we were going. It is absolutely absurd. In fact, um, when I spoke at GBTS on this trip, I made this statement at that time. Every time I've addressed 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I have emphasized the fact that what we are asking people to believe from a humanistic perspective is ludicrous. It's absurd. That the creator of 100 billion galaxies actually entered into his own creation on a little planet uh, called Earth. If you start with the naturalistic presuppositions, that just seems completely insane. Really does. Um, And yet, here we are on this perfectly balanced planet, and we have this mountain of evidence of intelligent design. This mountain of evidence Oh, great. Ron DeSantis just texted me. Well, I'm sure. I I gave money to somebody a number of years ago, and that's it. (laughs) It doesn't matter how many times you put stop, please, cease, desist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're Democrats or Republicans. They're going to keep coming after you. And uh, now Ron DeSantis is coming after you. Anyway, it is completely absurdity. But we have this mountain of evidence of the complexity of life the balance of life here on this planet. We have the fulfilled prophecies of the coming of Jesus. It is clear that there is a personal creator of all these things. And then we have an empty tomb. And these gentlemen will not even think about those possibilities. But I recognize, hey, if you don't start with a recognition of what God has already done. If you don't start with 
an understanding of the coherence, the Christian worldview. It just sounds completely ludicrous to them. I think that's why they fear actually studying it enough. I think they fear reading someone like a Francis Schaeffer. Because that's not the Christianity they hate, and that's not the Christianity they refute all the time. I think that's an important aspect of things. The universe and discovered all this stuff is ludicrous. So you're absolutely right. The birth of science and religion are the same. And, and in fact, modern science grew out of religion. People point that out, and they say to me, how dare you talk about religion you know, as, as being outdated? Science grew out of religion. And I say to them, well, that's fine, but children outgrow their parents, right? It's so great. No doubt religious ideas, and all our early scientists were religious because it was the only game in town. What does it mean that children outgrow their parents? You mean their need for their parents? Okay. But I, I never outgrew my parents. Um, I, I became mature on my own, <clears throat> but they provided to me such important foundational things. So this idea science somehow can outgrow its parents. Scientists are some of the least reflective people I've ever met. When it comes to worldview, when it comes to having knowledge of fields related to science, why do we need that? <clears throat> so many of these atheists who are scientists know nothing about history. They, they ethics, morals, history, that, what, what does that matter? I'm a scientist. I know about the Krebs cycle and glycolysis and electron chain transport. Yeah, so? So do I. Big deal. They really seem to think that as long as you have advanced knowledge in science, um, that means you've got it all taken care of. And there's there's nothing else that can can get in the way. You couldn't be educated except the church controlled all the universities and so it was like the National Science Foundation of the 16th century. It's not surprising they were all religious because that's that was the only game in town. So that that um except for one thing. You had to start with a belief in the regularity of nature. You had to be able to think that I'm going to perform this experiment, and then I'm going to perform it a second time, and I'm going to perform it a third time, and that you're going to get consistency. And where did that come from? God's created order. It wasn't just because the Roman Catholic Church ran the universities. It was because of a worldview. And these guys just, they never get below this surface level worldview analysis to see that they're still stealing from us. And that's, hey, I'm, <clears throat> there's nothing you can do about it. They live in God's world. They're trapped. Ca helped create the birth of modern science, but science outgrew it. And that's okay. Kids outgrow their parents. Thank goodness. Well, I think maybe that might help kids outgrow their parents. Why? I mean, the, the getting religion forced down your throat is one of the best ways for kids to for reject some kids. it as they get older. For some, for kids. some kids. Kids yeah. like you and me. But I get lots of letters you know, we made this movie called The Unbelievers, and and about which followed Richard Dawkins and I around the world as we talked about this stuff. And it was nice, and maybe 
and I, and I hope, and it's a, it's a well-made film. I like the filmmakers who made it, but I found people come up to me. And I had no idea of this. It's one of the negative aspects of religion that I never appreciated. I have people come up to me almost every day. I write me and saying, you know what? I saw the movie and I realized I'm not a bad person for asking questions and I'm not alone. You know, these people from small towns in Georgia, they have no one to talk to. They think they're the only ones who's asked the question, is God real? Is it okay to not believe in God? And they're told by everyone else, not only you'll go to hell, but you're a bad person. You see what I said earlier? These these folks are scared to death of real, vital um, Christianity. They're, they're scared to death of Francis Schaeffer. Um, we, we can't. We can't even think about that level of stuff. They they can only deal with, and yeah, there are forms of Christianity. There are there are unbiblical forms of Christianity that create people who are afraid to ask questions or all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but they're never dealing with where we're coming from. They don't even want to read what we have to say. In the vast majority of instances, when I debated people on the far left, they didn't read any of my books. They would literally feel like that would be a compromise. I had read all their stuff, <clears throat> read and annotated. And and so it's not surprising how, how the debates went as a result. And suddenly they discover that's not true. And so I think there are a lot of people who have that force down their throats. It's really hard when you're a kid you know, and have these, and that's why I do think any kind of religion for kids is kind of child abuse, not no matter what, because these concepts of a deity and the possible existence of a purpose of the universe are very deep and subtle concepts. And to expect a three-year-old kid to 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 ram that down a three-year-old kid's throat is unfair because the kid can't address it. it. It ends up being internalized in ways. And a lot of people, you know, I hear a lot of people who've had deep religious educations who say, you know, it's hard to outgrow that because when you get when that's thrust into you, uh, you, you know they can't even see, they cannot see that theirs is a religious worldview, that they have ultimate authorities, that they just won't test. They're telling the three year old, "You have no purpose. You're an accident. Go do whatever you want to do. Mutilate your body. Who cares? You're an ugly bag of mostly water. There's an accident." They might want to try to create some type of ethical because they just realize how empty that is, but they have got no place to go. The child, it's really hard to over ever overcome it. The guilt feelings that many religions I- introduce, the fundamental notion that that you know you're ultimately sinful, and no matter what you do is sinful, is something a lot of people have hard times with. And and that claim of sin is just so you know I've debated people uh, who you know who argue that homosexuality is 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 sinful, you know, and, then, and it's unnatural. God intended it to be otherwise. And then I point out. Now, before he goes into this stuff, I, it is truly amazing to me how atheists, I mean, atheists, when it comes to ethics and morality, are just so wildly inconsistent. Because if you understand the fundamental driving force of neo-Darwinian micromutational evolutionary theory, here's what it is. Get as much of your genotype into the next generation as possible and you win. And that's, that's the ultimate good. That's it. That's all there is to it. So 
homosexuality for Darwin's theory is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Now, what they've tried to do is try to come up with some way to go, well, we don't we don't want to agree with the Christians that that's bad, but yeah, you know, if you're homosexual, you're you're not gonna have any kids. And that means your genotype just goes whoop, and you're that's it. You're the end of the line. And not even getting into life expectancies, diseases, and all the rest of that kind of fun stuff, which has great negative impact upon the community. Um, just from a neo-Darwinian perspective, it's just silly to go that that direction. So they, they try to come out there, well, you know, uh, maybe there's uh, something for the community and having people that care for other people and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's a bunch of baloney, as we're about to see. Well, you know what? You take all mammals, 10%. <laughs> In every species, almost 10% have homosexual relationships. Sheep have long, 10% of sheep have long-term homosexual relationships. Are they sinful? Okay, it's... Um, no, they're not. Um, but um, they're also not going to have offspring, and hence they're probably going to end up in a stew somewhere fairly quickly, and appropriately so. Uh, again, you can have uh, things that go wrong, and what's the what's from the from their perspective? Let's not even talk about from a creative perspective. From their perspective, what does that result in? Those sheep and their characteristics and any positive mutations that they have developed disappear. They're gone. They're weeded out. Natural selection. It's gone. Um, as it should be. As it should be. But again, from a Christian perspective, he doesn't even recognize. It. Sheep are not made in the image of God. Mankind is. But for him, none of us are made in the image of God. There is no image of God to be made in the first place. Not unnatural at all. It's a natural consequence of whatever. Now, why it's the case, it's an interesting evolutionary question, but it's certainly not unnatural. And it seems so, uniform that if it's 10%. Yeah, it's a, well, you know, plus or minus a little bit. Right, it certainly close. seems to be biology. There's some purpose. There's some there's some biological purpose to it. Mm, and so decorating. to argue that it's both unnatural and wrong is to... Okay, okay. when a Christian says it's unnatural and wrong, on what basis? Not on a Darwinian basis. I mean, you could make that argument, but why is a Christian saying that? Because Scripture says so. Because God's made man in his image and has defined male and female and their roles, mothers, fathers, families. And this transcends any other aspect of the natural order. We're the only creatures that are, are called to that level. They can't be called to any level. There is nothing, there's nothing above the natural that this man can point to. You can be called to. So on this trip, I've been catching up on a little World War II reading. And I was, I've mentioned I was reading a book on, it's called Race of Aces. <clears throat> and I, I think of the men, not just the aces, not the ones who put their lives in a line and doing amazing thing in these little teeny tiny cramped aircraft uh, back in that day. But I think of the men who maintained those aircraft that just slaved in some of the most horrific conditions. Why they do it? Fundamentally, they believed they were defending their wives and their children and their nation back home. 
there is no other living creature that can even conceptualize why under danger and disease and deprivation on the other side of the planet could be something good for somebody on the other side of the planet. Only we can understand that. And that. Darwinism can't even begin to explain any of that stuff because it's false. Misunderstand biology, but people grow up being told it's evil because the Bible said it. Right. And then they don't want to give people who are homosexual the same rights as other people because they tell them, they say God didn't want them to have the homosexual. So the problem is people are told these things that are ultimately wrong because, you know, maybe, you know, because for whatever reason, the tribe that wrote down that that scripture wanted to make sure that the, there weren't homosexual relationships in the group. Um, <clears throat> the tribe that wrote down that scripture, well, you'd be talking about Moses if we're talking about uh, Leviticus 18 and 20, and as well as Genesis 18 and 19. Um, and then you have that being lived out for 1400 years. And then you have Jesus saying the law is good and holy and just and dying on a cross to fulfill the penalty of breaking that law. And so it's not some tribe someplace. It's the man who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then pulled it off. Very different perspectives than they normally want you to understand. Well, it's really baffling when you talk to people about the Bible and the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Finally, we get to the important part. And they don't even understand where the New Testament was created by Constantine and a bunch of bishops. They threw a bunch of stuff and they out. Think, and by the way, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, now this was, look, this was a few years ago because he's talking about Mike Pence. So, we could hope that he has um, maybe some of the interviews he's done because of COVID and stuff like that, he's been exposed to something better <laughs> along the way. I, I don't know. But this is YouTube-level history. Again, we can prove it. I have said for decades um, – well, okay, I've said for at least 15 years, let's put it that way. Anybody who says that Constantine of the Council of Nicaea had anything to do with the canon of Scripture, formation of the New Testament, um, is not worth your time to talk to. Um, in the sense that they have not done serious study at all. In any way, <laughs> because any type of original source historical study of Constantine, his role, Nicaea, what took place, doesn't give you any of that whatsoever. It, it just didn't happen. There's just nothing there. You don't get any type of silliness like that for hundreds of years later being projected back on this, but no serious historian believes that Constantine, the bishops of Nicaea, formed the New Testament. It's just absurd. There is no way to substantiate such an allegation. It's just falsehood, completely so. That wasn't the topic at Nicaea. Now, Constantine, uh, after the Council of Nicaea, gave money 
to the church to make copies of the New Testament because Rome had been destroying them for so long, especially between 303 and 313. But that didn't mean that he told them which books were supposed to be in the New Testament. That's that is not what Nicaea was talking about. You can't find anything in the cans and decrees of the Council of Nicaea. There's nothing in the Nicene symbol about any of these things. That was not what they were focused on. They were talking about the relationship with the Father and the Son, where the Son is homoousius with the Father. That was their focus. Now, you could argue that, well, that resulted, then you had the, the Aryan resurgency in the decades after that, and there had to be discussion about what sources the debate would be drawn from. And so down the road, you know, finally, Athanasius, 39th Vestal Letter, 367, you have the New Testament as we have it laid out. But we had almost all of that before that period of time, like in the Muratorian Fragment. So this whole idea just, it comes from someone who's never read anything at all on the subject. And I'm, like I said, I'm just hoping that maybe since then, maybe having Jordan Peterson on and some of the people associated with him, maybe he's gotten to do some better stuff. But like I said, um, I, I love it if someone would link him to my debate with Bart Ehrman, for example, to see that Christians could stand toe to toe with our critics and, but whether that will happen or not, I, I, I have no idea. I think it's kinder and gentler. Sure, the Old Testament is one of the most, you know, look at the Quran. People say the Quran is violent and vicious. Read the Old Testament. You know, you're supposed to stone your kids if they disobey you. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Um, again, clear evidence. And, and the reason they get away with this stuff is because so many Christians have never read Leviticus themselves or Deuteronomy, at all. So no one can come along and just slap them up upside the head and say, what are you talking about? Um, I'll forget, but I will try to remember to link to the Holiness Code series on Sermon Audio. I think it was, what, 38? 38 sermons I did on the toughest texts in the Old Testament including stone your kids to disobey you. That's not really what it was about. <laughs> um, you'd be talking about <clears throat> a, probably an adult child who goes into rebellion. Um, you're not talking about a six-year-old or anything like that in any way, shape, or form. But he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care what the actual context is. This is, this is all how to throw out stuff out there. And again, if there isn't anybody to push back, then they figure, yeah, we must be right about that because no one ever responds to our, our criticisms. And, and the so reason... kill people that wear two different kinds of cloth. Exactly. And the reason that nowadays sort of the old Abrahamic religions of Judaism and Christianity may seem a little less violent than Islam for some people is because, you know, people take the Koran literally. It, it, that's part of sort of fundamentalism. Very few, very few people take the Bible as literally... As namely, hey, we're going to stone kids. In the 12th century, they may have, but now we've outgrown it. And the Islam is 600 years younger. Again, this man doesn't know anything about Islam, doesn't know anything about the history of Christianity, doesn't know anything about biblical interpretation. It, it's astonishing how bad 
the leading atheists are. They, they well, again, why, why should an atheist care? But atheism does not provide a, a moral foundation for even being truthful in what you say about others. Um, but for Christians, you, you need to understand, this is why we need to know these things. This is why we need to uh, understand God's law and understand what it meant at that time, how it was functioning at that time. This isn't a matter of of picking and choosing, as they're about to say. There is, of course, the issue in Islam of the interpretation of the Quran, because the Quran is such a small book, and it assumes you have the Old and New Testament. It assumes you have that lens, but it is very difficult to interpret the Quran, and that's why you have to use the Hadith. And I'm pretty sure this man's never read the Hadith, um, which I have. Um, and that's where the that's where it comes from. Now, <clears throat> if you go listen to my presentation, Islam A to Z, I talk about one of the major differences between Islam and Christianity. We had Acts 15, they never did. And that's why you have so much of what's going on today. Uh, take a look at that. We're almost done with this. We're at it. We've gone way over time. I apologize, but let's finish it up. And so it's it's just the Old Testament is just as violent as the Quran, but no one takes it seriously. The Old Testament records man's inhumanity to man. That's completely different than saying it teaches you to engage in violence. The only example they gave was a horrifically bad one that doesn't really make any sense. So this is, this is, I talk to Christians who are ignorant of the Old Testament. This all is works for them. So I'm going to throw it out at you too. What are you talking about? Are you talking about Psalm 136? Are, are you talking about uh, passages? Are you talking about the imprecatory Psalms? Or are you talking about Psalms that say Yahweh's loving kindness is never ending? But there, there's more references to Yahweh's chesed. His loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness, his grace in the Old Testament than in the New. So what, what specifically are you talking about? I don't think they know. They've just gotten away with this so long that they just keep throwing it out there. But people, most people who call themselves religious, they pick and choose the things they like from the Bible or the New Testament or the Old Testament. They pick and choose the nice, kinder, gentler things. You know, Richard Dawkins' uh, foundation in England did an interesting survey. Uh, so they, the British government does a census, you know, and, and they, they ask people's religions as part of it. And in the last census... Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to press on with that. Um, there's only like one minute left or something like that, and it, it's not really relevant. The point was <clears throat> Joe Rogan talking about Constantine, Nicaea. These are standard New Testament mythologies. Uh, I'm sorry. These are standard internet Mythologies, not New Testament mythology. And we have to be prepared to deal with it. Every one of us, not just me. I say if you are going to be engaging our culture, um, homeschooling parents, your kids need to know. You need to know. This should not be something we're having to look up because it's just so prevalent. If these are the prevalent excuses that people are using to avoid, uh, dealing with, with what Scripture says, then we need to be prepared to respond to them, and we can. It's it's not difficult to do that. 
at all. So <clears throat> anyway, uh, thank you uh, for enduring my oopses <coughs> and my cough. I picked this up uh, last weekend in uh, prior, and so far it hasn't been too bad. I'm still riding, um, but it's just a scratchy type thing, and it's it's annoying, but we'll soldier on through it. So uh, next program should be back in our regular studios, and I'll be honest with you, <clears throat> I'm going to miss having... Uh, having the amount of control that I have and my, my light, you know, I, it's not that big a light. I, I could, could take it out. Probably look really cool. No, in all the other studios. I know, I know Rich is going, <laughs> no, 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 no not, not doing it. <laughs> no, I'll put up with it when you're in there. But I ain't putting up with it anyplace else. I I can just I can just see that right now. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> all righty. Thanks for watching the program today. Uh, we'll see you, Lord willing, next week. God bless. <laughs>